What's up, family? Um, this is Keith Pinkney, uh, one of the hosts of the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Um, and I don't think I've ever on this podcast formally introduced myself, so I'm going to do that now. Um, I'm a Christian, a black man, a son, a friend, a seminary student, and much more. Um, and today I just wanted to get on here uh, and talk to you guys about the curse of ham. And so uh, briefly, on the day three podcast, uh, when we went through Genesis 9 and 12, we mentioned that we would have a separate podcast that talks about um, the curse of Ham and uh, it needed its own episode, right? Because, and you may say why, like, well, it's because that, um, you know, African-Americans have primarily been oppressed because of this false teaching that has infiltrated the church and they've been oppressed by chattel slavery, right? Because of this teaching. And so um, what I want to do is just, yeah, like tell you really, really quick what it is and then five reasons why it's trash. So this is um, a very brief crash course. Um, There is so much literature, so much literature that uh, debunks this myth. Um, And so we have receipts. So everything I'm saying here is not something I'm pulling out of thin air. Um, This is something I've studied um, and something that um, I can give you resources on. And so, uh, yeah, just real quick, um, I'll just tell you what it is and then why it's false. So first, what it is. Um, the curse of Ham is basically a heresy. Heresy just means false teaching that teaches that African-Americans and uh, basically their descendants are destined to be servants <laughs> and, you know, like should accept, you know, their status as slaves in fulfillment of biblical prophecy uh, based out of Genesis 9. And so if we remember the story, Ham is, you know, uh, the one who committed this shameful sin uh, to his father, Noah. The Bible says that, you know, Shem, Ham and Japheth were, were the sons of Noah. The whole earth was filled uh, through them. This is right after the new creation, right after the flood recedes. Uh Noah basically has too much to drink. Ham comes in. The Bible says it's, he sees his father's nakedness. Right. And then he goes and tells his brothers about it. Right. And so from there, his brothers come in. They don't look at his father, um, but they cover him. They cover their father. And then when their father wakes up, um, it says when he's seen what his youngest son had done to him, uh, he basically provides a curse. So that's basically the story in a nutshell. And now, if we remember, uh, you know, Ham, if we keep reading um, after Genesis 9, after Noah gives the curses, um, or the curse. Let me say that. If he give, after he gives the curse, um, if we keep reading to Genesis ten, we in the text we find that the descendants of Ham are four. There's four descendants of Ham. There's uh, he has four sons. So it's Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. So Cush literally means Ethiopia. Mizraim literally means Egypt. Put literally means Libya. And then there's Canaan. So the first three, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, those are where Africans descend from. Right. So they, you know, Ethiopia becomes a nation, Egypt becomes a nation and Libya becomes a nation. So literally black people come from Cush. And that is a widely attested historical fact. Right. And so the fourth son, though, is Canaan. Right. And he's not right. Who we would associate with Africans. So Canaan technically uh, is not the Canaanites are not a people group anymore. Right. They they uh, have basically. Uh, throughout antiquity, they migrated with other people groups and basically died off as a people group. So there's no people called the Canaanites, quote unquote, today. However, there are Ethiopians, Egyptians, Libyans, right? You get the point. And so these are the Hamitic peoples, right? These are Ham's sons. These are Hamitic peoples. And so the argument further goes on to say that, yo, once Ham sinned, God said, yo, 
you and your descendants, I'm going to turn your skin black. And this is the curse, right? That they would say like, yo, God turned Ham's skin black and he turned Cush, Mizraim <clears throat> and put skin black. And therefore, like this is God's punishment for Ham's sin. And so uh, what we realize, though, when we look historically is that this view doesn't really become prominent until the third and fifth century. Uh, and it's primarily becomes prominent amongst uh, rabbinic scholars and rabbinic uh, interpreters of the text and rabbinic interpreters of the text are just teachers. They're just uh, Jewish teachers um, and really experts in the law, which is ironic, right? So they're experts in the law, which is Genesis to Deuteronomy. And um, they basically interpret this text as saying what I just said, right? That God cursed Ham and his descendants, and therefore that's why their skin is black and they're meant to be slaves. However, when we think about this historically, we have to realize that this view doesn't reach uh, the pinnacle of its popularity until the transatlantic slave trade um, in the colonial era and the founding of America. And so in this time, you really have literally intellectuals, clergy, um, you know, these prominent thinkers, uh, European, who, who, who would say that this is true, that this is a proper interpretation of Genesis 9. And from there, like, like just from that alone, fam, like, we should know, fam, like that intellect is no uh, guard against um, uh, intellect is no like guard against ignorance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you can be really smart and really ignorant at the same time, fam. Like real talk. And so uh, we we have to think about how these powerful people, how powerful this was in the hands of men, right? What these slave owners, what these Europeans would say, essentially, they would essentially tell black people <laughs> that. To resist your ontological inferiority was to resist the will of God. Come on, fam. Like, that's wild. And, and, it, and it spread. This view spread. It didn't, it didn't lie dormant. And I love what Tony Evans, uh, one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, he says that um, myths don't need facts. They only need supporters. Right. And so one of the things he was getting at was like, yo, once people get behind a view, especially those in power, it spreads, man. It spreads like wildfire. And it's hard to put out. It's really hard to put out, especially when you have an oppressed people taking in this view and propagating like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is right. They're literally taking a white supremacist interpretation of the scriptures and ascribing it to themselves, right? And so it, it's really, it's so baked in for centuries that it's very hard to get out. Um, by God's grace, like, man, this, yeah, like, and there have been people who have pushed back, right, um, throughout the centuries, and obviously even in, um, you know, uh, the time of chattel slavery, there were um, people on both sides, obviously African-Americans who pushed back, and obviously um, there were some who, um, or European who pushed back as well. So I don't want to paint history with a broad brush, but I do want to be real and honest about what it is. And so, um, yeah, that's basically what the curse of Ham is. You can tell, fam, that this is this ain't this ain't it, cause like <laughs> this ain't it. But really quick, I just want to give five five really quick reasons um, why this is trash. <laughs> um, so the first reason is this. Wrong guy, right? So if we look at the text in Genesis 9, we see that Canaan was cursed, not Ham. Hello, we can go home, really. <laughs> if we read Genesis 9, we see, yo, K 
Canaan is cursed. Very easy reading. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need uh, to be a pastor. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be anything to see that Canaan is clearly cursed. All you need to do is be able to read. And now again, very, very important. In, in those times, right, like you knew that um, the slaves in the, uh, you know, in, in America were most of the time illiterate, right? So they couldn't read. And so for a slave master to propagate this teaching to slaves was powerful because he, he couldn't even refute it by going to the text. Like, like, think about how, how deceptive and oppressive sin is. Oh, it's just, it's crazy, bro. And so Genesis 9.25 literally says, Canaan is cursed. <laughs> Plain as day, right? Canaan is cursed. Um, he will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. Verse 26, he says, he also said, this is speaking of Noah, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Again, verse 27, let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. So over and over, the text is super, super clear. Like goes without saying, like Canaan, it's cursed. So wrong guy. They have the wrong guy. Number two, stop stuffing things. This is what I would say to these interpreters. Stop stuffing things into places that it does not fit. What do I mean? This narrative of Ham being cursed by Noah doesn't play out or fit into the biblical storyline. Right? So again, remember, I said Mizraim is Egypt. Mizraim comes from Ham. Now, Mizraim, Egypt, becomes one of the most powerful, one of the most sophisticated, oh man, one of the most sophisticated, one of the most powerful civilizations and empires in antiquity, right? And they actually enslave the Jews. So if Canaan is to be Shem's slave, now Shem, again, remember, Shem is who Abraham comes from and who Israel comes from. Right. You know, the Jews were slaves to Egypt. How in the world is Egypt cursed? You just said Shem was blessed. So, in other words, Ham doesn't fit into this narrative. Ham doesn't even fit into the text here. It doesn't fit into the text here and it doesn't fit into the biblical storyline. Egypt becomes one of the most powerful civilizations in antiquity. Furthermore, if we read Genesis 10, one of, one of the things I want, want people to know is that, man, if you keep reading, You'll answer some of your own, your own questions, right? You really will. In Genesis 10, it says that Nineveh, sounds familiar, Jonah, right? Remember that. Nineveh was established by Nimrod. Now, Nimrod comes from who? Cush. Who is Cush the son of? Cush, Ethiopia, right? The son of Ham, right? He comes from Ham. And so Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Now, Assyria, this is where the Jews were taken captive as a result of the exile, and we see this in 2 Kings 17, go read the narrative. Assyria takes, again, Assyria takes the Jews captive. How is Assyria somehow cursed from the biblical storyline and from this text? Next up, Babylon. We know Babylon, right? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Uh, Jeremiah 25, 2 Kings 24, right? All of these texts, right? Daniel, like all of these texts, Babylon was established by Nimrod 
as well. And it became the capital of the Babylonians, who again was one of the most powerful empires and civilizations in antiquity and took over many nations. So if the black skin of Ham, right, was a curse that carried with it perpetual servitude, why were these nations in power? And why were the Jews not? Right? This makes no sense. <laughs> How could they be cursed? And they took Shem's line into exile. Stop stuffing things into places that they don't fit in. Number three, make it make sense. Now, this doesn't make sense exegetically, and you, you, you probably, yeah, I'm sure you see that by now. Um, but what does the passage mean? You probably ask, like, yo, like, what, what does it really mean, right? Um, now, I would say there's a variety of views, right? But, but the beauty of this is that none of the views support, <laughs> support the um, subjugation of black people in chattel slavery in America, and that being the fulfillment of this curse. None of them. Right. There are four primary views amongst scholars today, and all of them have really good merit. I'll run through them really fast and then we'll move on. So there's first the voyeurism view. Uh, this just means that, you know, Ham merely looks or beholds Noah visually. Right. And the text does um, say this. The strength of this view is that, man, it doesn't, you know, uh, mention things that aren't super explicit in the text. Um, the text does talk about that Noah in verse uh, 922, that Noah did see his father naked. Um, but that's it. Right. Like the weakness of this view is that it fails to bring out the gravity of Ham's offense. And then why, like Noah was tea, like Noah was hot, you know, why he was so mad and why he cursed Canaan rather than Ham. It doesn't really make sense of that. And so there's merit to both, again, strengths and weaknesses. And then there's the castration view. So this view says that Ham castrated Noah or cut it, cut off Noah's uh, genitals. And so the strength of this view is that it is prevalent in the ancient Near East um, and for a son to, you know, it was prevalent in the ancient East for a son to disgrace his father in that way, uh, to castrate him um, as an act of trying to usurp his authority and become head of the clan. Um, and I guess, yeah, it makes sense of the curse of Canaan. Because the logic goes that Noah curses Ham's fourth son since he deprived him of having a fourth son, right? Um, the only weakness is, though, there's no strong textual evidence for this, right? There's nothing in the text that denotes that he had a knife at all, right? Um, and so, yeah, strengths and weaknesses there. Um, then there's the paternal incest view. And this this is where I think we get a little bit um, more rigorous with uh, dealing with the text. And so this view says that there was uh, some type of homosexual action committed by Ham that Noah... Uh, you know, when he wakes up, says, you know, the Bible says like he realized what his youngest son had done to him, that this points, uh, people will say that this points to something more than just a passive viewing. Right. Um, and that, you know, him seeing his father naked, uh, you know, they would say the strength, the, another strength is like, yo, they, him seeing his father naked in Genesis 9:22 is a Hebrew idiom that points to something greater. And so if you go to texts like Leviticus 2017, um, and pretty much anywhere uh, in the holiness code, that middle section of Leviticus, it, it speaks of, you know, someone seeing someone else's nakedness as sexual activity. Um, and so, yeah, like there's other, there's intertextual support and there's textual support for that. However, the weakness is it doesn't speak to the curse of Canaan. Um, 
And then the final view is the maternal incest view. Basically says the same thing that that in verse 22, that it is a Hebrew idiom. The seeing the father naked is a Hebrew idiom. But it would say that uh, that Hebrew idiom is not only used for, uh, um, you know, incest with a father, but also incest with the father's wife or someone's wife. So in other words, for 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 him to see his father's nakedness could mean he's seen his wife's nakedness as well, right? Um, that that phrase encapsulated both and. It was a both and. And Leviticus 18 is a text that speaks to this, like it speaks to this language, um, especially as it's uh, written in the Hebrew. And so, yeah, it, it's... it's uh, Kind of dense, and but the weaknesses, you know, of this one is that it doesn't seem to be added in the text. To me, at least, it seems that uh, just from my reading, it seemed that Cain or Canaan was born before he even sinned against his father. And then some say, no, they just mentioned him because they're setting up for the curse. And then I would say, well, how did how did Noah know, right? How did Noah know that his wife was pregnant if he, you know, really did sleep with? his father's wife or his mother. Um, how did he know his wife was pregnant in that moment? And they have ways of getting around it. But again, that's the weakness there for me. And I don't know. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like, I really don't know or have a view. Um, I don't think it affects anything. Uh, like, any, it doesn't affect anything. Like, any of these views, you could take either one and it not have a significant impact on your theology or how you live or how you disciple or anything of that nature. And so for me, I, I really don't know. Um, I haven't even thought about it long enough to know for real. Uh, but yeah, again, there are good and godly people who disagree um, and that's fine. Um, but again, I do want to say that none of them remotely, <laughs> remotely suggest anything about Africans being cursed and thus subjected to modern day chattel slavery. None of these views influence the discussion in any way possible. And so that's the beauty of looking at the views as well. Number four, um, don't bring something back to life that's already died, right? And so what do I mean? The curse was fulfilled, right? The conquest of Canaan, hello, the promised land. The curse was dead before America was even born, right? And so the only curse ever pronounced upon any of the people of Ham was fulfilled in the conquest of the Canaanites by the Israelites. 1,500 years before Jesus comes, Right? 1,500 years before Jesus, almost 3,000 years before America. And so this prophecy was fulfilled when the nation of Israel drove out the Canaanites in the conquest of the promised land. Now, we see this in the book of Joshua. Remember, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, first five books of the Bible are a cohesive unit. Moses is writing one big book. Think of it as one big book with names. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Like this is one narrative and he's talking about creation, the forming of a people and the people going into slavery and the people coming out of slavery, right? And so we see this theme of going into conquest Canaan over and over and over in Numbers and Deuteronomy 7 and Genesis 15, right? In Deuteronomy 20, like all of these texts, uh, Leviticus 18 and, Le and Deuteronomy 18, where it talks about, yo, don't go in and practice the, the sins of the Canaanites. Like, yo, God is like, don't imitate those practices. Y'all are my people. Y'all are called to be set apart. And so, yeah, like this curse was fulfilled. The Israelites drive out Canaan and that is the promised land, right? That is where Israel would be because God promised it to their forefathers. 
Lastly, number five, irony. Canaan was the only one of Ham's descendants that wasn't located on the continent of Africa. What do I mean? Remember, Cush, Mizraim, and Put are all Af- became all African nations, right? They weren't Africa back then, but now they're Africa. Um, and in the, in the modernity, like after you know when the uh, transatlantic slave trade happened, they were all African nations. And so the crazy the crazy thing is, it's like yo, ironically, Canaan wouldn't even nowhere near Africa, nowhere near black people. So it's they're totally they're totally separate in the sense geographically, right? And so God is sovereign even over geography, my G. Like He's sovereign over geography. And so Canaan, remember, this is the promised land. Canaan is the promised land. We just said that. Geographically, this is associated with Palestine, Israel, modern day Israel, Jerusalem, right? So the Canaanites, though they have Hamitic ancestry, they're from Ham, lived outside of Africa and even spoke Semitic dialect. They didn't even speak. Egyptian languages. They didn't speak Ethiopian languages. They, they, they were totally separate. And so, yes, later, someone will come back and say, oh, where, where are they? Yes, like later they did migrate with other people groups. Yes, but I'm saying literally they did not form what we know as Africa and what we know as black folks. So the argument doesn't explain geography either, right? That the land they occupy is modern day Israel. We see this unfold in the book of Joshua. And in the book of Judges, all the way up to the Davidic dynasty, when David defeats the Philistines and they get Jerusalem and Solomon comes and they build a temple there. That is Canaan, fam. <laughs> like that is Canaan. Though, yeah, those are five quick reasons. And there's so much literature out there. And then lastly, guys, like, yo, Bible interpretation matters, right? Yo, exegesis and Ethics go hand in hand. This is why it's so important for us, right, to know our Bibles. This is why it's so important to get it right, right, to be as close to what God meant as we can possibly be. Bad biblical interpretation usually leaves others to feel the weight of the consequences. That's the, that's the part about it. That's the part about it. It usually leaves others to feel the weight of consequences. My ancestors felt the weight of bad exegesis from racists. And so for us, man, we got to be scrupulous about how we, we have to be serious, man, about how we read our Bibles and how we interpret it, man. And so I'll leave you with one verse, man, that gives you biblical precedent for what I'm saying. First Timothy 4.16. This is Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy. He says this. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Couldn't have said it better. Y'all be blessed. Don't believe the curse of hell. Believe Jesus. Believe the word. Interpret scripture. All right. See y'all.